Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic University Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Canton III, and I am joined by my brother-in-arms, the co-host, the super producer, Jake Christie. Jake, how are you? I'm doing well, you know, uh, and it was a recording day, so I put this shirt on just because I realized that I'm probably wearing this shirt in like half of our videos. I own other shirts. It's just if we're going to be recording a video, I throw this on generally. <laughs> No, I, I, I hear you. Sorry, for the non-video people, I'm wearing a Marvel t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Jake, I gotta say, so we were, we this, this episode is going to be about the movies this summer. We're going to talk about our favorite movies this summer. Jake has a few more than I do, but we're going to go through the top four, and then Jake's going to give his, his entire list. But Jake, I gotta say. Last week we recorded an episode and we mm-hmm. talked about news and notes. We talked about a lot of things. We talked about Ahsoka and we got mm-hmm. into all the nerd stuff you could get into. Mm-hmm. But what we closed the episode with was a, a question that I asked you about the New York Jets. Mm-hmm. And we we both were pretty frank about our nervousness mm-hmm. of what this season was going to end up being. And mm-hmm. on Monday night, I remember I was thinking about it all. I was thinking about it that whole day. I was like... Uh, so nervous i couldn't turn on no pregame i was just like mm-hmm. nah, I, can't, I can't do it and then you see aaron Rodgers run out the tunnel with the flag and everything and it's very mm-hmm. exciting and it's just also very funny given some of his comments on the yes, day in question yes. but that just, i just want to know that that's very funny it, it very funny very funny uh considering and considering what happened uh mm-hmm. subsequently after that and then aaron Rodgers uh tears his achilles and yeah i gotta say one jay christie noted last week that this was gonna happen and i didn't think he get injured this early but my prediction was that he would probably get injured because tom brady is the exception not the rule of what happens when you play quarterback to 40 and um i'm not happy that i was right uh but the thing i will say is i think you and i are kind of in the same boat like i'm obviously not happy about it and i think on our subscriber mailbag which you can listen to on the patreon there are some questions about specifics that i want to say for then but i there are really two types of sports fans, and I really can't get along with the latter group that much. We're like, I'm in the first group, which is people like, I'm a Jets fan, I'm upset about this, but I can't lie to you that it's funny. It's funny that it happened. It's funny that they made such a big deal about it, that he was a star of our knocks. That he, it's Jets. funny. It's, <laughs> it's funny. Jets, that's the thing. It's <laughs> such a Jet thing to happen. Yeah. I think for anybody who believes that the Jets aren't cursed, I feel, I yeah. feel like this is, this is yeah. the answer to that question. That, exactly. That like, I think you and I have the healthy attitude of just being like, come on, man. Now, people, now, like, the reason I'm saying that is because if you're one of those people who genuinely can't re- understand why this is ironic and funny, don't, I don't want to talk sports with you. You know what I mean? You don't talk about those. Uh, no. But yeah, it is. I mean, yes, of course. It, there's an there's a irony to it, the whole entire thing, and, the, mm-hmm. and just incredible that we kind of forecasted something along these lines. I'm almost wish- never right about anything, except when it comes to being pessimistic about the Mets and Jets. I've never failed. <laughs> and I, I will say this to any Jet fan listening. Mm-hmm. I completely understand it was a great win at the same time. You get mm-hmm. the the other hard knock story, mm-hmm. and you get mm-hmm. that out of the way, and that's really cool and, and whatnot. Just look at the schedule, man, and Zach Wilson. Look at what the Cowboys pass rush did to the Giants. What do you think they're going to do to Zach Wilson? I will say, as someone who comes from a whole family of Giants fans, the moment the Jets score one point, I'm texting mad shit to the whole family. You <laughs> 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 got it. All right. So we will, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on what happens with the Jets this season. But, I mean, it, it, was, it was funny, and yet it was depressing. But mm-hmm. you know what's not depressing? 
patreon.com slash mcuniversitypod where you can get our latest bonus content. We will be doing a subscriber mailbag that you'll hear later this week. We will also have Fast and the Furious 7 coming out later in the month. And, of course, the Discord, you could get in for $3. And, of course, if you are if you want to be an Avenger tier patron at $8, you have an opportunity to appear with us on a, a future subscriber mailbag. So appreciate everybody supporting on Patreon.com slash Pot. But the reason why we are here is we wanted to take a look at the summer movies of 2023. Let's go through the top four. Jake... I'll let you lead the way here because this is how right. yeah. it mutated. So, so yeah, uh, see a lot of movies of the summer. Um, obviously, I've seen more. I actually have a full top ten. I'll go through five through ten at the end just quickly. I actually tabulated. It. I saw we went from June first to August thirty first, and I because both because I have Regal Unlimited and because I've been unemployed for part of the time, mm-hmm. I have seen twenty one movies that came out this summer. It's incredible. Uh, but top four. Now, what, uh, you've seen some of these movies from June 1st to August 31st. What's your number four, AC? Number four, I have Transformers. Transformers. Mm. What's, what's that? Rise of the Beasts? Yeah. Rise of the Beasts. I will tell you, I saw that movie, and it is not in my top ten. But tell me what you liked about this movie. Um, I like the originality and the flavor of having uh, Hispanic and African-American folks at the lead of this this was uh, it was this was a lot of fun but i i like anthony ramos i think he's a he's a very talented actor and uh dominique fishback as well she's uh she's in the talented actor as well and i gotta say this was the first transformers movie in a while where i was kind of, where i was into it from start to finish it, it and also it wasn't that long it wasn't like those two hours and 35 minutes of crap that we was getting from Michael Bay towards the end of his run there. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And also we got a, we got a GI Joe tease. So I enjoyed that. Yeah. Uh, I saw, it was definitely, um, there's stuff I liked about it. Um, I think most of the reason it's not in my top 10 is just like I said, I saw so many damn movies that uh, it's credited out. I thought that it was, um, it was definitely much more interesting than the later Bay movies um, because it just had, you know, some ideas of making the human characters interesting at least it was all, it, yeah it was it was fun like listen don't get me wrong anytime that you get either the little brother or the little kid being smart alecky mm. and knowing more than what they're supposed to yeah that does get annoying but i was able to give this one a pass yes uh my number four movie for the summer uh is a little film no one's seen it, it didn't make really any money it's uh called barbie uh directed by Greta Gerwig um you know I did the Barberheimer pod uh I think that this movie is great I think there's been a lot of discourse about it that's mostly been dumb but I think that it the reason it's made a lot of money is because it really works it is a very really genuinely funny movie I think it's genuinely moving it's got really great performances it looks incredible it looks incredible it looks incredible that is the thing that that I can't beat into the ground enough that like what turns this movie from being just like a oh my god that's such a fun thing is I think that subconsciously audiences are coming to it and are like, oh my God, this is such an amazing thing to say on the big screen. I got to see this again. Um, and yeah, I think that it deserves basically all of its success. I, I have no qualms with it being the biggest movie in Warner Brothers history. It deserves it, really. That's actually, you know, funny enough, that's my number three, uh, mm-hmm. Barbie. I really, I really enjoyed it. I think the message behind it, if you really look into it, the patriarchy, especially the, especially the, the whole Ken stuff and as the the position that men are usually in uh, mm-hmm. in, in most of whether it's tv shows or movies and stuff like that 
it was reverse here. And I thought it was like a beautiful flipping of that. And Ken realizing that, wait a minute, uh, it's, nobody cares about what I think and stuff like that. It's a it's a good way to tilt the mirror towards you and take a look at it if you choose to. But a lot of people, of course, usually miss that point. Yeah. And, uh, but I think it was just a beautiful... I thought that message itself was beautiful, and I thought the movie itself visually, like you said, was very, very good. And honestly, it was just a fun time. It's a yeah. fun time. You, I, The theater experience of it was a lot of fun. And I know it's one of those things like where because, you know, a lot of parents will bring their kids to it, they'll miss some of the jokes that, yeah. that, that you know, that, that come through in the movie, but... Um, I just thought I, I had a, such a good time. My wife and I had a really mm. good time seeing it. And it's just it's a movie I would definitely see again. Mm-hmm. I'd see again. And yeah, I just it's nice to have something along those lines. And I hope Mattel doesn't go too crazy with the mm. with uh, trying to, you know, spin off franchises of it. Because I think this is kind of like perfect as it is. Yeah. And, and it's also so rare these days to see a movie with this that's this big that like actually nails elements as opposed to like it's not funny for a big budget movie it's funny for a movie it's a, it's a genuinely fun like i think that that's the thing that yes. is easy to miss in the discussion of it that like i think the message is great um i think that it's there's some point like it is laugh out loud funny which is mm-hmm. a thing that not a lot of movies these days that are like even more movies which have funny moments most of them are kind of like <laughs> You know, they're not laugh out loud movies. <laughs> That's a good, and, a big laugh. And uh, yeah, I, I also just think like, because I, I remember when my, my mom saw it with um, my aunt and my two younger cousins. And my mom was kind of like, originally like when she she called me on the way home and was like, I was kind of surprised like, because she thought it was going to be, you know, she was a little disappointed initially because she thought it was going to be like a, you know, girl power, like girls can do anything type movie. And I think the thing that's really interesting about it, and obviously women can speak this better than I can, but I think that it's, it is very nice to see a movie that even though obviously the feminist themes of it are pretty basic and the most annoying people on the internet are like, oh, uh, you thought that movie was like feminist? It's like 25 years behind. It's like talk to someone from your hometown about women's rights. You're going to understand that we don't all live in New York. OK, um, <laughs> but uh, that I think it's really nice to that there's a movie that for kids, even though it's PG-13, but it's kind of for kids, that the message right. of it is not rah, rah, you can do anything. It's you can do anything but things are hard and it's okay for them to be hard because i think that so much of our media for kids just builds them up and not that it's bad to people because i think the opposite message of like you should teach people that the world sucks it's like no that's gonna just make kids sad but to teach people that like even if something like barbie media will convince you that you can do anything if you put your mind to it because women can do anything it's understandable then if you try to do something and you find the world smacks you back down to think that 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 you're the problem, you know? But it's like, no, it's hard for everyone. And also, once again, it's so funny. I actually also just read a thing where Greta Gerwig said it in the original cut of the movie, there's a line in the opening sequence, Marie Curie, like, was quoted or, like, had like, a fake Marie Curie, and they have a line of Helen Mirren saying, all right, fuck off, Marie Curie, which is the thing I really need to hear. <laughs> I need to get that tape to hear Helen Mirren say, fuck off, Marie Curie. Um, but yeah, great movie. Great movie. And now what's, what is your number three? This was tough between three and four, but I mean, I had to do it. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One, baby. I mean, it's just, I, I had to. Now we um, can have the conversation because that's my number two. So let's, let's okay. talk about it. Go so ahead. 
one shouts to the entity. I'm kidding. Um, I think that these the Mission Impossible movies, especially the last three, are action filmmaking at its best. And I think that this movie, the themes it explores with the entity, with the AI, with that there's just something about the way that is movie just so perfectly, I think does the villain of like technology versus humanity because it's not like, cause it's not humanity as a whole. It's not like the Terminator where they're trying to save all of humanity. It's a kind of real, what it realizes that like the most important aspect of humanity is our friends. And so the entity doesn't need to threaten to blow up the world. The entity just needs to threaten to kill Ethan's friends. And that is the real battle, you know? To me, that movie just when you think of Rogue Nation or Ghost Protocol or Fallout, like I think of how four, five, and six really elevated the mm-hmm. the Mission Impossible franchise, and this I feel like continues that same theme. Even if mm-hmm. I feel like Fallout is like a little bit better than this, yes, Fallout's but, the best one. Yeah, Fallout's the best one to me. But I thought this one was in its own right. Mm-hmm. Justin, just some really incredible stuff. And again, you get to see Cruz running. You get mm-hmm. to see Cruz having some surprising tender moments with mm-hmm. Haley Atwell. And just seeing him and the gang mm-hmm. and Luther. I mean, the, when I think about the Mission Impossible franchise and what it's given us over these numbers of years since the first one, it is incredible that the quality of movie is this high at this yeah. point. Yeah. I, and it is such an achievement to me, even though, you know, it's funny because I, I think this one was two hours and 49 minutes. Mm-hmm. I did not. The funny part about it is I thought I felt the runtime, but then I saw it a second time and I was like, Oh no, I'm right. Like I'm, I'm back in, I'm yeah. back in. It's yeah. like, all oh, this is cool. And then you get into the, you get into the whole, uh, climax of jumping mm-hmm. off the cliff and mm-hmm. and uh that whole thing and getting in the train there's so many different aspects of it and also listen man I, i'll be i'll just be straight out and and quite honest with you mm-hmm. this is there's just so many beautiful women in this movie this is like i mean it just it feels stuff, like man. watching the movie i feel like the mark jackson camera roll meme you know what i mean just <laughs> oh, uh but and i think that's great about it too is this one feels like it feels like they eventually realized, like, you can't keep topping the stunts necessarily. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I don't know, the, the Fallout helicopter chase to, like, fight is so crazy. And, like, obviously the parachute thing is also incredibly crazy. But the thing I like about this is it feels like there's a lot of smaller action sequences that are more character-based. Like, the whole chase with Haley Atwell and Tom Cruise in the tiny car is, like, it's obviously super complex. But the thing that makes it so entertaining is not that they do a crazy thing that a car chase has never done before. Like it's a pretty standard car chase. Not like, but like there's nothing in it that is, that makes you go, Oh my God, that's crazy. Right. It's just, it's you've seen in movies, yeah. but it's because it's so character driven. And I think that that's the thing that these movies have really honed in on is that like, you know, what makes it more heart pounding to see a man ride a motorcycle off a cliff and parachute when he is, when you're concerned for the well-being of the woman on the train, when he's on the phone with his best friend who's worried about him, like when you have all these character moments feeding into it, it makes it more intense. It's not, because as much as I love the Fast and Furious films, the stunts are generally silly and kind of not connected to anything. Whereas right. these are so 
so character based. I mean, especially like I said, where you have where they're intercutting with you know Haley Atwell's character as Vanessa Kirby, possibly maybe getting found out, and you're worried about her safety. And it's like that is what adds tension. It's not just about like oh shoot, we gotta drive a car through another building. Like that's fun, but it's not the same as oh my god, is he gonna save her life? Yes, they tend to make the stakes of these action scenes feel more weighty and in a way that's that that you know that feels good. I mean. I mean, that train scene and you have Ethan coming onto the train and then the whole thing collapses and then he asks her if, if she's okay, as you mentioned. And it's like it's like these little touches because th- this flashes back to the previous conversation where he's like, once you're a part of this, I got you. Like that, stuff like that. I love when stuff, those types of conversations that you get earlier play into a, a integral scene later. And in that case, it did. And sometimes you don't necessarily need the characters to have a full-on makeout session uh, in order to see that there's tender care uh, being distributed yeah. there. So I, I thought that yeah. was cool, too. And I think what what I really love about these later Mission Impossible movies from Foron is that, and I kind of touched on it when I talked about the people versus AI, but I think the thing that makes them feel so special to me is that I think we had so much, especially in the aughts, of movies about people who were saving the world but hated humanity like oh i guess i have to like the biggest example being like hancock or whatever but it's like oh mm-hmm. i guess i got and like that i think is you know is a sign of the times and why i think the 2000s is kind of a not that there's not great art from the 2000s but some of it's like so culturally rotten where you're like geez we really were fucked up um but like i think there's something so beautiful about this character ethan hunt who is a preternaturally great at everything person that he's a superhuman right and that he so easily could turn into a robotic character who's like i just have to save the world because it's my job but it's like no he is going to save the world because he loves people that that is a thing that is completely always clear that he doesn't the moment i talk about Haley, well he does that because he cares about her that that is never lost yes. and i think that a thing that i think why i've always loved the MCU more than DCU, even beyond the quality of the movies, is that that's the thing I think the MCU, to its credit, has almost always had, where, like, I'll st- occasionally will have, you know, one or two characters that are kind of cynical, but it's generally like, no, if you're going to make a movie about the end of the world, center a character that actually cares. It's like, I, I just, no, I'm not that interested in, you're never confused about what Ethan Hunt's motivation is. It's like, no, ben, if the whole world ends, then Benji dies, and he can't let that happen, you know? If you if you know this podcast more so than anything else, we're a bunch of softies. We love we love our we love our friendship. We love our love, love, yeah. love, baby. That's 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 what we're about here. Yeah. And Mission Impossible continues to do such. And I can't wait for part two whenever that comes out. Yeah. Uh, obviously, strikes and whatnot. But mm-hmm. hey, listen, well, I'll, I'll be waiting for it. I'll, I'm uh-huh. I'm ready. I'm ready for part two. And I swear to God, if one more outlet reports how much money they lost without talking about the fact that they kept their entire crew employed for six months of a shutdown, which no other major movie did. No other major movie did that. Yeah, they lost a lot of money. The movie cost $260 million because they had to employ an entire crew of people for six months when they weren't working. Shut up. Stop it. They did a great thing. Let's not punish them for it. Um, Anyway. And also, don't let yeah. that box office shit take away from the fact that that shit was fire. That no, was, of course, I, I, I'm yeah, I, and I, I think I know most people who listen know not to do that, but it, it is, it's very yeah. annoying where it's like, yeah, the reason why other movies lost less money is because they had their entire crews unemployed. I'd much rather the movie lose some money, you know. 
And also, I think they made a they made a um a, a miscalculation on the Barbenheimer experience and what that was. Going yes. To be. Oh, they definitely thought that it was more dangerous to come out after Indiana Jones than it. Sorry, to come out before Indiana Jones than it was to come out uh, before Barbenheimer, which is an understandable risk. Like I can understand why a studio head would think that, but that is, I think, why you should have people under the age of thirty in the room here because. I could have told you that the Indiana Jones movie wasn't going to do that well because like, I think people under 30 like Indiana Jones, but like there's some franchises where I just want to like tap people on the shoulder and be like, Hey, this is something that like people really don't care about. Like I remember the first time I had that thought was when they rebooted Charlie's angels. And I'm like, Psst, people, that's people under 30. Don't care about that. It's a franchise. <laughs> like that's, that that's a property. Like I know you might, but like, no other, we care about other, but we don't care. About that. <laughs> now, nah, I think it, it is interesting. I think 2023 is an interesting examination at the, at the drug of nostalgia and mm-hmm. when you when you go to that drug and people are kind of off it at this point like mm-hmm. there's people limits. Are look people are looking for originality they're looking for new ideas they want fresh stuff and it's clear and it's reflective in yeah. the box office yeah this i think that like obviously there have been movies that have bombed but the box office this year is more affirming like there's some things that have bombed that i'm upset about like you know dead reckoning but like generally speaking i there are obviously people who are going to be cynical at the state of the movies always, and I think that there are ob- mm-hmm. there's still good reasons to be cynical, particularly with the stuff that the studios aren't giving up in the writer strike because right. clearly they don't like movies. Um, mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, and now people want to poo poo and say like Barbie's not original space and a toy. It's like yes, I understand. But find me the most recent movie that is a- as singular a vision as Barbie to make a billion dollars. You know what I mean? Like, come on. Like it's yes, it is based on a toy, but that is not. It doesn't belong in the same bucket as Avengers Endgame in terms of an originality. Like it's just, way more original than that. <laughs> just watch. I I I promise. If you uh, most people have watched Barbie, but if you haven't watched Barbie, watch it just to see. Because who could come up with something like that? I think it's very difficult. And this is where you always talk about the the AI situation and why that. And this is why they're fighting so hard. AI ain't gonna do shit like that. No. Right. No, and what what it's going to do is it's going to make something that's barely readable, and then they're going to hire someone like Greta Gerwig to rewrite it, but not, but you can't rewrite it so much that she gets a script writing credit. So she asks you, like that's the whole that's the whole bullshit. That's once again, I think I've, I've said it from the beginning. The day, the thing I'm afraid of is not that AI is going to start making movies good enough that he, writers don't need to work. It's going to start making really shitty stuff, and then writers are going to be paid like pennies to make it somewhat manageable like that's what's gonna happen and yeah, i mean it's like really like they want to make it like a fast food franchise where you're just putting out the regular the regular the regular as opposed to actually trying to be innovative trying to push yeah. boundaries as opposed to and, and, and the thing is with a fast food franchise you still need people working there too because you can't you know but the thing is you can't just have like it'd be a different story i think if they were going to have it works seamlessly. Like it would suck, obviously, but I can understand it more from the perspective. If it's like, we can hire no one. Like I hate that, but I'm like, whatever. Right. Yes, that makes business sense. But what's in, they're still gonna have to hire people. It's like how, mm-hmm. you know, some of these like, uh, automated companies, they have, they have like still like 75% of the amount of workers because the robots screw up enough for they still need to, you know, like you can't replace uh, anyway. Um, uh, so I think it's my turn for number two because you said uh, yes, yes, because it was my number two, number. which just yeah. snuck in because it came out on June second. Is I think probably your number one, Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. Um, uh, yeah, I assume it's your number one. Oh yeah, Spider Man Across the Spider Verse is yeah is my number one. We will talk about. Well, this is the thing. Like, 
we're gonna talk about your number one because I do have to get some thoughts about that. Yeah. Uh, so, but, yeah. but but yeah, Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. If you heard the pod, you already kind of know the the general mm-hmm. thoughts. And I did just think I was surprised from a sequel standpoint how mm-hmm. they were able to continue to nail the character and the story, and also find a way to again be original with the way that they tell this Spider Man story this mm-hmm. time, as opposed to the usual. They're taking the usual hero has to decide whether this person mm-hmm. lives or this person dies and the hero goes hey wait a minute this doesn't have to happen yeah and it causes it, it causes an interesting discussion amongst the characters itself throughout the movie and i thought that was a beautiful choice for miles and kind of seeing how miguel reacts to that and the rest of the spider folks um really creates something interesting for the next iteration yeah, and it's a movie that feels, like, joyfully maximalist as opposed to, like, it doesn't feel like there's so much shit in it because there's a corporate mandate, like, you need to get X, Y, and Z in it. It feels like it has all the shit in it because the people who are making it wanted to put all the shit in it. And obviously, like, there's all the stuff about how overworked the people were, and that's bad. And I think that every time I see a new still of, like, this is how the digital version's different, I want to be like, Lord and Miller, stop it. Like, we get it. You want to be perfectionist, but, like, the movie's done. Stop it. Um... But I think it's just it's just a beautifully made movie. I think that it has, like I said, it just it, it it has so much interesting stuff to say about the genre and about what I know. I said it on the pod, but like what we want out of it, like what does it? I, this thing I keep going back to is like what does it say that we need the character to be an orphan? What does it say that we need to, for this to happen? Like why is that? And 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 does that mean? Or is it because like I think the cynical read of it, and this is kind of what I think, is that. Like we are, we need that to happen because we can't, because like if we acknowledge the fact that you don't need a tragedy to happen to you in order to be a hero, then we have no excuse for not being a great person. Like what's our excuse? You know, I come from a two-parent household. I have a ton of resources. Why don't I do something great with my life? You know, I don't, I, but if, I mean, but if both my parents died, maybe I'd be spurred to do it. So like, like that, I think is the whole thing. And so that's why they all resent Miles because Miles has a pretty stable life so, and he's able to be a hero. You know, does that mean their parents have to die? Yada yada. I yeah, the psychology yeah. of it is it's a really interesting look, and I hope they continue to do that in the next yeah. installment. And so, my number one, and I'm surprised. Okay, you really like Rise of the Beast more than you like Oppenheimer. <laughs> this is the thing. Um, so when I did, so when I did this list, you, uh-huh. I, when I did this list, mm-hmm. I feel like summer movies. I, okay, so you meant okay. I get what you mean. So summer movies are kind of. This is why I wanted you to talk about it mm-hmm. because I know you, I know you did the Barbenheimer pod, mm-hmm. but I want you to talk about this here and then let me talk how I really feel about this movie, which I haven't had to of course to do yes. yet, and I will kind of explain where I actually have it in terms of movies I've seen this year. No, and I, I understand. I think that, like, I thought about maybe doing it, like, just quote-unquote summer movies. But to be honest with you, this movie's made, like, $900 million. So, like, fuck it. Maybe it is a summer movie, you know? <laughs> like, it's... it's uh... But, yeah, yeah anyway. I, yeah, yeah, but, could, but go. It's, uh, that's, go. that's a definitional question. But I could talk about this movie forever. I think it is a masterpiece with a capital M. I really do. I think that it is a... It's just a, a perfect examination of what it means to, like, of so many, like, there's so many axioms you could put against, like, if you stand for nothing, to fall for anything. It's such a cheesy saying, but that, I think, applies here. Like, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Cheesy saying, I think it applies to you. Like, all mm-hmm. these ideas of how greatness can be corrupted 
if one is not vigilant about if one if one with the capacity of a greatness isn't doesn't remain in control of it what can that rot and what does that mean and how can one atone and what is it what does it mean that our greatest people are flawed what does it mean that you know we can achieve something that is objectively like an incredible achievement like splitting the atom and making a nuclear bomb scientifically is a monumental work of science like it's not like it, it wasn't easy like that's the thing too it's kind of it's the hard thing to describe about is like one of the greatest scientific breakthroughs happened and it then costs you know hundreds of thousands of people their lives in a war you know and i think that um the themes I think are just, they're so universal. And I think it's also the thing about it, which is the most incredible thing about it is that it is all of these things. It is about a fucking nuclear physicist in the forties, fifties and early sixties. And it somehow is as entertaining as any movie that's come out this year. Like it has to think about it. It moves so well. <laughs> I, I was so stunned because so I, you know that this movie is good because everybody says it's good. So, yeah. but it's one, it's one thing to hear it, but it's another mm-hmm. thing to actually go see it for yourself. Mm-hmm. So I said, all right, I finally isolated a, mm-hmm. a time when I can go, mm-hmm. and it was nice to just see it at night. And mm-hmm. as I was watching it, I had this thought come to my mind, especially after the second act came about. I was like, wow, this shit is. Oh, this shit is awesome. This is a yeah. great movie. All right. This mm-hmm. is just like, you know, the bomb explodes and then he he's having mm-hmm. the, the speech and the rally and which is the best getting, scene in the movie, in my opinion. I think that movie that's we're getting the, 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 the visuals, the terror, and all mm-hmm. that stuff that I that Oppenheimer's seeing is like it's like I was like, oh man, you, you, I can't I can't ask for any more. And then the fucking third act happens. Mm-hmm. It's a, I I said this when I came out of the theater at the time. I've never seen a a movie switch gears like that, and all the people are doing is talking. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all mm-hmm. that's happening. Mm-hmm. All they're doing is talking. You have these hearings. You have these side meetings. Mm-hmm. You have all of these conversations. And I was so glued and enthralled with mm-hmm. what was happening. The performances are just so seamless. The transitions, mm-hmm. the the little moments here and mm-hmm. there. Um, Emily Blunt as Oppenheimer's wife telling him to buck up after mm-hmm. he's crying after uh, mm-hmm. Florence Pugh's character spit uh-huh. the bit and died. That shit was incredible. Mm-hmm. Like she could have easily just been getting on his case for cheating on her, but mm-hmm. nah. She's like, wait a minute, you did all this shit. You got it to the point where you you were you were the one who wrought this atomic bomb. You made this atomic bomb. You kill all these people, and you gonna be you gonna be sad about some lady. And it's not just that. I think the thing that's so great about it, and this thing that I kind of relate to, because this is sort of when I do something bad, is kind of my instinct. Is it is a perfect. I just love where she she like reads him for filth and is like, you do all this terrible stuff, and then you make a show of feeling really bad for yourself and hoping that other people feel bad for you. But it's like, no, you made the mistake. You like uh, she at this point she's talking about Florence Pugh, yeah. but it's like also it's his whole problem. He drops a bomb. He makes a bomb, and I'm sure he does feel bad that he made the bomb. But guess what? Just because he feels bad about himself about it does not mean that he absolves himself for it. Right. It doesn't mean that you didn't do the thing. You did the thing. And I think... And I just love that all of this crumbles to a degree because some guy didn't like what this guy said about him. Yeah. Yeah. A one-offhand comment, Mm -hmm. which which it does show you the the humanity of Mm -hmm. people and what happens when egos are involved 
And when we're talking about egos in some of the biggest decisions in government that affect everybody's lives and not we're not talking about just the country we're talking mm-hmm. about the world and somebody was upset about something yeah. and because of that it turns mm-hmm. into a whole shit show that has everybody spinning around yeah. trying to do power grabs and all of this other yeah. stuff that is that is cinema that is peak cinema and i think it's not because it's not just the comment obviously that's the catalyst of it but beyond that it is and i think it's a perfect like that storyline i think is the most applicable today because it is an example of how how in government there's a group of people who think that they should be ruling and they are never the experts. Like Louis Strauss was a lowly shoe salesman. I'll call him that because he's a dick and he doesn't want to be called that. But he was a lowly shoe salesman who worked hard and he raised up the ranks. And like he is not qualified to talk about nuclear policy. But he, like, and this is one of the big problems of the government today, and I think kind of, honestly, in a lot of ways in both parties, more so, obviously, in the Republican Party, like, every problem. But, like, is that people who are, like, powerful in government think that they should make the decisions because they're powerful, not because of expertise. Like, mm. he's like, how dare Oppenheimer think that just because he knows how this shit works means that he should make these geopolitical decisions? Like, this has nothing to do with, like, he thinks, like, it's like, oh, it, I mean, it's a perfect example of the military-industrial complex of, like... Right. He, he Strauss thinks it's more valuable to have like to be a big businessman who's made tough decisions than it yes. is to actually understand how the science works, and that's a microcosm of so many problems we have. Oh my god, I I, I think that I mean though that that whole thing, and then finally you get to the end, and uh, Oppenheimer's wife sees him shaking hands with them those folks, and she just like she just looks so disgusted. Mm-hmm. And these are the pills that sometimes you have to decide whether you want to swallow mm-hmm. them or not to just either save face mm-hmm. or these are the real life decisions that people yeah. m- people make and from from big to small like yeah. these are the things there's always there's always a shit sandwich you're gonna have to eat at some point yeah. I, and, and I also yeah great great stuff there I also think it has one of the greatest last lines in the history of cinema I think that that's a fair I I think that that it should belong in the same category as forget it jake it's chinatown frankly my dear don't give a damn like i think it just i'm getting chills thinking about it just i believe we did like that is such a powerful thing to and once again i think that it is such a because it's like it's not a movie about a president it's not it's a movie about the type of person who can only become world like can only become one of the most powerful people ever to live in a very specific circumstance. Like a nuclear physicist who lectures at Berkeley is very rarely going to be one of the most important people to ever live. And I think that it is an example of like what can happen if you, because they're the type of people who know what to do with power. Those are Louis Strauss's in the world. He only knows what to do with power. He doesn't know what to do with actual things. And there are people who know what to do with the thing they're expert in, like Oppenheimer. But Oppenheimer doesn't know what to do with power. So he cedes his power to other people, and he gets fucked because of it. And I think that, yeah. yeah. I got to say, and this is why, like, I, I couldn't just put Oppenheimer on a list because I yeah. feel like it belongs on For sure. Screen. It's on, it's in its own thing. Yeah, it's the best. It's the best movie I'm gonna see this year. Yeah. It's the best movie I've seen in a while. Like yeah. just generally, yeah. generally speaking, they yeah. say there's a lot of great movies, but this one in particular, runtime don't mean don't don't mean a damn thing with this one. Like I feel like if anything, yeah. Um, 
I feel like when it ramps up the pace in the third act, it's like it's just like it feels like a roller coaster. It, and honestly, I, a, a, a something like that where they're just talking should not yeah. feel like a roller coaster, and yet it did. I mean, my favorite genre of movies, as I've said before, is people talking in rooms dramas. Um, it's why one of my favorite movies of all time is Spotlight, for example. Um, a movie I think that you, it, if you liked Oppenheimer and you want to watch one that is batshit crazy and is based on debunked conspiracy theories, watch JFK, which is basically the same thing, where it's just two and a half hours of people talking and it's fucking riveting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's crazy. Like, it truly is, like, nonsense gobbledygook because Oliver Stone's a crazy person, but it's great. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, like, and I, I, so if anyone wants people talking in rooms recommendations, please hit me up. Um, there's so many great ones, you know, like Michael Clayton, Zodiac. Oh, yeah, Michael Clayton's a great Michael movie. Clayton, you yeah. know, is great. Uh, but I, I think that it's just, it's my favorite type of movie because I firmly believe, as someone who went to school for writing and whose, let's say, problem with the scripts was always that they felt like radio dramas because I don't really write a lot of action. It's very nice when you can see a movie that is all just dialogue be compelling because I, my belief, the thing way I justified to myself is that if it is done correctly, dialogue can be as exciting as anything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Oppenheimer, Christopher Nolan proved that. Uh, Ooh, that's, that's that's the magnum opus right there, man. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, that's our each of our top fours. Now I did five through ten also because I, like I said, saw twenty one movies. Number Take ten, away, a, a little movie called Joyride. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It was. The, I am, um, but I haven't seen it yet. It's an. Of course, I, I don't think I think you've only seen one of these movies. Um, it's genuinely really funny. It's from one of the co-writers of Crazy Rich Asians. It's about a group of four friends who go to China to try to find one of the characters' birth mothers. Um, Baron Davis plays a big role in it, just wants to ask oh, himself. Wow. Uh, he's very funny. Uh, I recommend it. Number nine, No Hard Feelings, which is the Jennifer Lawrence um, comedy, which I think is very funny. Um, people were talking about the, the, like, people like, oh my God, it's so problematic that he's oh, 18 yeah, and she's, so, and it's like, yeah. the amount of times, I, 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 I am generally sympathetic to people calling out things being problematic because the world is problematic generally. Stop calling something problematic when that is the plot of the movie. The plot of the movie is that it's problematic. Anyway, anyway, anyway. They didn't see the movie. No, and, and I, I will say there was someone who made a note, and I will make a tweet I saw that was very funny. Is that Netflix? They someone said Netflix is going to release data this week because Netflix. No hard feelings. Just hit Netflix. It has become the most paused movie of all time. Um, there's a scene that people are going to probably pause. It's uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that Jennifer Lunch does basically a WWE like assault on three pranksters fully nude <laughs> like like what? does like a does like a stone cold stunner and like uh you know it's, it's just like an rko on a dude on a beach completely nude <laughs> okay I get that. all right this movie just ratchets it's up my, it's my also it's, it's once again it's genuinely funny like that's the thing about it is it's generally funny and we talk all the time about there are no movie stars anymore false jennifer lawrence she left a little bit she had a kid she kind of was doing like taking some years off came back she's like Oh, you said the movie star's dead. I have uh, a movie for you. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, right. Number seven. Uh, sorry, number eight. TMNT Mutant Mayhem. Can I get hey. a bacon, egg, and cheese? Bacon, wow. let me get a bacon, egg. Yo, ah, Yo, ah. Let me get a bacon, egg, and cheese. Um, yeah. What a nice movie. That was a yeah. nice. That was a, just such a nice. I, it's like it, t- it took me back to a time yeah. when all I cared about was watching the Ninja Turtles. It also you. was the perfect example that any possible thing you put on screen will become extremely exciting and hype if you put uh anti up robin hood's theory by mop underneath oh the music choice oh boy oh boy 
I feel like Seth Rogen is really curried. I think he was, I I get the vibe that he was someone who was not, that was mostly beloved by white stoners. And I feel like with that, with, with from his recent choices, I think he's endeared himself to other communities. Uh, (laughs) That was was awesome. I I enjoyed that movie. Yes. Uh, Number seven is an incredibly quiet movie that is probably like objective, maybe objectively the second best movie on here called past lives. It's a movie that no one who's listening probably has seen except Michael Springthorpe. It's a I tiny, ha- by the way, just full disclosure mm-hmm. yesterday, I got halfway through it and my um, other resource mm-hmm. w- made the thing freeze. So I'm mm-hmm. trying to find another past lives? resource. Yes. Past lives. Right, I'm halfway through. And I, I think, I think it's a, it is a genuinely like beautiful movie. Like it is so, I, I can't, it's not even, because it's, so it's such far, a simple concept. I like it. It's, it's such a simple concept, just about, you know, someone reconnecting with a childhood crush, but it's just about, you know, how the different decisions you make in your life change things, and what does it mean, and it's beautiful. Number six is uh, a little movie uh, that just got in under the wire, because it was released uh, in New York and LA in the summer, technically. Uh, a little movie called Bottoms, which is very, 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 very funny. Um and I recommend seeing it in theaters if it's still playing near you, because uh, if I hear – this is not – you have a child, so you can – you have two children, so you can do whatever you want. But once again, whenever I hear people be like oh, – when they post like a, fo- a video from like a comedy that came out in 2004, it's like, why don't we get movies like this anymore? It's because you wait until they're on Netflix to go see them, and if you wait to go to – wait till Netflix to see something, you are telling the studio, we don't want this. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Well, again, not you, I mean, you because you, you, you're, you're a busy you're person. The truth. You're, you're a the busy truth, person, though. but the fact of the matter is, studios make so much less money when something's on streaming that you might as well just not see it at all. If you're can I can I can I be honest for a second? Yeah. No, it was funny. Like the other day, um, so for my birthday, my my brother got me a a, a Regal gift card. Like he got me yeah. a Regal gift card because I I, mm-hmm. I was like I've now tried to start going. Yeah. And then even my wife has been like, man, you go to the movies a lot. I'm yeah. trying to go. I'm trying and, to and go again, whenever I'm not, I can. And yeah. I, it's really not you who I'm criticizing. It's like people oh, no, my age not. who have nothing to do. And it's like, oh, what do you mean? Like, come on. Like, I'm saying you ain't got to feel no type of way, no. Jake, about going it, it, on it, about this. It's, uh, it's just here. frustrating. It's, it's fine. I totally It's understand. frustrating when I see people do it consciously, especially with a movie like this. Like, Bottoms is just a small movie. They got like an $11 mm-hmm. million dollar budget. Like, is not the type of thing that, like, will automatically get made another one. Like, there won't automatically be more movies like this. And it's like, these are the movies. Skip. Skip Marvel movie, honestly. They don't need your money. They, these movies do. Like, I saw... Uh, the, I mean, the wild part is, is, like, I saw I saw the trailer for Joyride in a, in yeah. a theater, and I was like, yo, I kind of want to see this. Yeah. But then Ned just never had the opportunity. Yeah, that movie also got kind of shitty promoted. It didn't really get promoted that much. Mm-hmm. I mean, the problem being, I think, obviously, the strike eventually happened. And right, 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 I think right. it also, like... I don't know. The, Stephanie Shu from Everything Ever All Once is in it, and so I'm surprised she didn't do a lot of promotion. But the lead, Ashley Park, is she's like Broadway famous, but okay. what that means is not famous in the rest of the world. Um, <laughs> I mean, I love her. She's great on this season of Only Murders. Um, but uh, yes, yes, she is. And then my number five is a movie that I am not. I am someone who has been notably hit and miss with a Mr. Wes Anderson, but I think that Asteroid City is great i think it's 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 amazing uh it's you know one of definitely my top five anderson's probably top four um if you're someone who likes his movies you'll definitely enjoy it if you're someone who is hit and miss with his movies you probably will enjoy it and if you're someone who hasn't seen any of his movies uh start with rushmore or royal ten bombs <laughs> um uh yeah because he's such a specific thing like I, I don't know if you've ever seen a wes anderson movie but they're the most specific movie like he has more of a style than basically anyone who's a mainstream filmmaker these all days. right so asteroid city is another one that's it's i wasn't if but if you're gonna watch it i would recommend you start with some of his other movies because it's 
Okay. He, his style is so distinct now that like I could imagine it turning you off. You kind of have to know his wavelength because his characters don't want it looks very distinct, but his characters don't necessarily act like 100% normal people. It's like very heightened. Like they have a very specific way of being. Um, and well, I know the trailer for that looked like it was weird. Yeah, but all of his movies are kind of like that where they're like very... People kind of don't aren't very big emotionally and like are kind of it seems like stilted in like for comedic purposes, which it always is. But it's one of those things where like and this is such an artsy fartsy thing to say, where them being stilted and not being very open emotionally through the sum of its parts eventually gets to a greater uh, emotional truth, yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. It's why in plays sometimes people speak weird because you don't naturalism is just one way to write, but Hollywood convinced us that it's the only way to write. Um, but yeah, that's my top ten. <laughs> there you go. No, it's interesting stuff, man. Um, I think, like I said, 2023 for movies has been very eye-opening, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, I think what happened with Quantumania was, was, a, was an interesting telltale sign. Uh, Guardians 3, I think, did very well. And... I think it was a, obviously a great movie. We've had some, we've had some, I mean, the Barbenheimer thing, I think is just something incredibly special that, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to come by a moment in time. And this was a moment in time for the movies. And it was nice to see because we haven't seen that in a while. Absolutely. All right. I think, I think we're good mostly because we have to record something after this. So, oh yes. All right. So, all right, so we'll see what again. We'll see what happens with the Jets. Well, we'll, we'll maybe we'll intermittently update things. But I gotta say, we're a couple weeks from Loki. We're getting close. I mean, we're getting real close. But this podcast will continue to find different ways to talk about different things until we get there. And listen, I'm excited for for the rest of the slate with the MCU to kind of see how it closes out. But also, in the meantime, we're going to just jump around and have a lot of fun in the meantime. Jay Christie, sir, where can we follow you? You can follow me on Twitter, at the Jay Christie. This is my other podcast, Love at First Psych, where me and Andre Brewer are talking the show Psych. We're finishing up season three, which is all heaters. And then we're starting season four. Nice, nice. You can follow me on the Twitter at AnthonyCanton underscore three. Follow the show at MC University Pod on all platforms, Instagram, and obviously Twitter and and YouTube channel, subscribe to that YouTube channel, continue to do so. I appreciate everybody for supporting. And again, the Patreon at the top, as I mentioned, uh, if you want to get in there and support the show on a, on a higher level and get some of those bonus episodes, uh, do so. Appreciate everybody for listening and supporting. For Jay Christie, I'm Anthony Canton III. This has been Marvel Cinematic University, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>